Minority Retort on X-Ray FM. X-Ray FM. Minority Retort with Jason Lamb. All right, it's Friday morning on X-Ray in the morning. That means it's time for Minority Retort. My name is Jason Lamb. I'm the co-host and co-producer of Minority Retort, the comedy show, which you can see at the Siren Theater. That's an all-people-of-color comedy show hosted by myself, Julia Ramos, and a now-rotating cast of comedic characters. But here on the show, we don't just talk to comedians and talk about comedy. And we are pleased to be bringing you programming today. That's all female-centric, and um, I want to thank X-Ray for putting on a special programming today in celebration of International Women's Day. So you may be wondering why I'm talking if it's International Women's Day. Well, uh, I assure you I'm going to be brief, but I believe you'll find my guest today's story worthwhile, who is the actor who's starring currently in the Portland Center stage production of Tiny Beautiful Things, the adaptation of Cheryl Strayed's novel. And it's a pleasure to welcome to the show today, Brian Michael Smith. Brian, how are you? Good, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for doing the show today. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. So, um, for folks that haven't seen Tiny Beautiful Things as of yet, I wonder if you could give an overview of what the story is about. Well, um, Tiny Beautiful Things is an adaption of a book by uh, Portland author Cheryl Strayed. And uh, it kind of follows her journey of how she became uh, Dear Sugar, which was a column that she did. It was like a Dear Abby kind of column uh, in, the, in the early 2000s. And how she uh, kind of took that over. It became a, a pretty popular uh, a co- column and a popular book just because of Cheryl's way of sharing in a way what she calls a, with radical sincerity where instead of just you know being the person who is all-knowing and tells you what to do and has all the answers, she just sort of reaches into her depths and her history and her, her soul and sort of gives advice from, from that vulnerable place. And uh, the, the letters that people would send to her just kind of showed a, a shared humanity, so it had a, a real resonance across the column, across the book. And uh, Nia Bardalos, who uh, uh, created the My Big Fat Greek Wedding uh, films, she... Uh, uh, you know, read the column and was just like, "This, there's something here," and you know, she really wanted to make a, a play out of it. So her and uh, Tommy Kale and, and a couple other collaborators got together and they adapted it into a play, which is, you know, something that I thought was incredible, given you know the, the kind of story that it is. Like, how do you take a bunch of uh, you know anonymous letters and someone's response and turn it into a stage play? But the adaptation is, is brilliant, and our director Rose Reardon did a great job of, of really dramatizing what she calls a. The souls of Americans at night, in the middle of the night, who are reaching out for you know some sense of of connection and understanding. And uh, whom do you play in Tiny Beautiful I Things? I play I play Letter Writer Three, which is a kind of like a misnomer. There's um, Sugar, who's played by Dana Morgan Green, and then there's three letter writers who take on you know we play dozens of different uh, voices within it. So you know sometimes you know I'll, I'll be playing a, a 13 year old girl and I'll be playing a you know 45 year old man and the same thing for uh, for Lisa and Leif. So we represent all the all the stories and we have to find some way to embody all these uh, people sort of reaching out in the middle of the night. Uh, how, as you mentioned, you play a, a number of different characters um, uh, within the uh, umbrella, I guess, of or under the umbrella of Letter Writer Number Three. Um, how challenging was it for you to to play such a variety of, of different characters, and how deeply did you think about who those characters were? Because they each are on stage for such a brief time, but 
did you go deep into their background in order to be able to uh, create a background for you in order to be able to play them? In some ways, yeah. Like that was what. A, besides Cheryl's writing and I mean, and the 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 responses that she chose to answer, and then the, the places from herself that she spoke from, that really resonated with me when I read the script. I like really was attracted to the challenge of how am I going to bring all these different people, you know, to life? Because some people really are on this, you know, you know, sort of show up for just, you know, two words and others, you know, give full monologues from, from their, their backstory and, you know, their, their particular problem that they're speaking from. And so, you know, how do I embody all those things, you know, in either a brief period of time or over an extended period of time? Like, yeah, exactly. How long do I go into each? So when I, when I first read it, I was like, this, this sounds like a great challenge. And I was all, you know, excited about it. And then when I showed up here for rehearsals, I'm like, no, seriously, how am I going to do this? But uh, the thing that worked out the best was um, I've, I've worked with some really good uh, teachers in uh, in New York. I worked at with uh, Terry Knickerbocker at the William Esther Studio, who now has his own studio, and uh, Anthony Apeson, who's a teacher who also is really about finding how to create characters from an authentic place. And I think that foundation really helped lay the groundwork. And then going into the rehearsal process with Rose and the rest of the actors really helped me take some of those ideas that I already had and, and find a way to bring the fine line between what do what needs to come to the surface, what do I need to create, and what needs to come to the surface on stage, and what is inherent in the way that we are staging things and, and presenting things together right now. So it, it, it was it was it was it was difficult because some of the ideas that I had when I showed up, you know, I had to let go of. So you know, I did my homework beforehand, and I had like you know a little grid that I made of like, okay, so this person seems like they're this age, and some of the details were like in the the letter. You know, the the person would describe themselves, so I would kind of take from there. Some of it was completely ambiguous, so I would just sort of try to use my imagination to come up with some things and, and find ways to physicalize them or, you know, see what we're going to do with the voice. But Rose really wanted us to focus on the soul of the of the characters, and, you know, we could do some things with that voice, but it wasn't a, it wasn't going to be, like, a lot of costume changes and a lot of, uh, a lot of you know, novelty things to, to do. She just said, like, you know, find their, their point of view, and I set the character... The characterization kind of on the on the point of view and the situation and how I connected mm. to it. Right. Uh, so I wanted to ask you about one of the souls in the night that reaches out for Dear Sugar, um, played by you uh, as letter writer number three, is is um, a character called Orphan. Mm-hmm. And Orphan uh, tells his story that uh, he was a female that uh, transitioned to male. And the effect that it had on his relationship with his with his family, and people may know that uh, you came out as transgender um, a few years ago, mm-hmm. and I wanted to ask you how similar was Orphan's story to your own story. Well, Orphan's story is that uh, you know when he when he trans when he uh, told his parents that he was going to transition, he said he had a difficult childhood. Uh, you know, he's picked on by other kids and, you know, misunderstood by his family. And I definitely understood being uh, misunderstood by my family. I think, uh, you know, coming of age, you know, I was born in uh, the, the early 80s. So my childhood was, you know, mostly 80s and early 90s. And so coming of age in that time, there was not much vocabulary of, around gender exploration. You know, things were still pretty much very binary. It's like all, everyone understood things like there's either male or female. There's There's not much in between. You know, unless maybe there's a hermaphrodite, but even that was was like, you know, it didn't. It seemed very unrealistic. So I didn't have 
the vocabulary and the words, you know, besides uh, tomboy and things like that. And even though uh, when I was in high school, I played on the boys' football team in the fall and the girls' track team in the in the in the spring. I didn't find myself picked on very much. I think a lot of that came from you know my personality and just you know. I don't know, just blessings, I guess. You know, so I didn't experience being picked on too much. I experienced my own sort of inner struggles with, you know, who I was and how I wanted to to be, and you know, that not existing and not being able to have relationships or friendships in the way that I that I wanted to because I was being related to as you know, as a different gender than I felt I was. But it, it wasn't. I wasn't as bullied as a lot of young people are, and as a lot of young people were at that time, or you know especially you know nowadays with uh with social media and whatnot so but when it came with my family I, I grew up in the midwest my family you know has southern roots and I was southern baptist so there was a lot of there was a lot of misunderstanding when i did you know come out and it wasn't from a malicious place you know thank god but it was still hurtful and it had a deep impact on me and you know some of when i first thought about transitioning i thought does this mean i have to do what orphan did in the story which is you know cut off ties from my family, move away, and transition to live the life that I need to do? Is that the choice that I'm going to have to make? And uh, I remember how devastating it was for me to have to entertain that and to feel like maybe that is what I had to do because um, my my mother's religious convictions and her way of understanding things through a religious lens really got in the way of her understanding what was happening and connecting with me just on a person-to-person level. And so that, you know, it was hard for her and it was hard for me. And so I definitely related to that. And uh, what was surprising um, was Sugar's response. And, you know, it's condensed from the response in the book. But ultimately in the play, she says, you know, you need, you know, I'm asking as orphans, should I forgive my parents and get back in touch after they realize that, you know, they made a mistake when they, you know, misunderstood what was happening. They they did their research and now they understand and they want to reconnect and, and heal the relationship. And so, you know, orphans write a letter to act sugar like should I accept their offer and forgive them and let them get back in my life or do I stay safe on the island that I created alone and separate from them and ignore their email you know and, and uh, you know he's just afraid of, of being hurt again by them if he opens that door and uh, my mom and I we never completely cut ties with each other it's just uh, you know she had a, an approach where you know I think her very first approach to things was I'm not going to support this you know, I'm not going to stop you, but I'm not going to support this. And then it evolved to, I just don't understand. And then it evolved to, I, I kind of understand, but I need you to understand some things. And I think that's what really resonated with me um, about Sugar's letter, because in Sugar's response, she says, you know, you forgive your parents, not for them, but for yourself. If you don't accept them for the fear-based place that they were, you know, in the past, it's the same thing as them not accepting you for who you are. And I was like, whoa. I never thought about it like that, and and that's not always the case with with parents. Some parents are very toxic, and they can be very damaging, and they, they you can't forgive them because they're not opening that door for forgiveness and healing to happen. But in the cases where they do, you, you know, it, it, it's better for you to not hold things against them, to process that stuff, and go through the process of of healing and 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 communicating. So, I feel like that's what happened. You know, what was suggested by sugar and that's what happened for me you know after um my mother and I we got back together after I got to to college and uh, we we tried to work on our relationship and it just took some time for her to be able to see me and to see what I was going through you know just kind of on my on my own 
as a person and I had to do the same thing for her and see her as a person who, you know, she had me pretty young and there's no, you know, there's no parent guidebook and you know, she wasn't prepared for for the for, you know, for having to to deal with with something that seems so, you know, foreign and and uh, you know, just inconceivable to her. So mm. she had to sort of let go of her own com- her own point of view and kind of see where I was at, and I had to kind of see where she was at as a, as a uh, as a parent and let her have her grieving process because even though I always felt like I was present and I wasn't there, she she believed in having that she had a daughter, and so she had to accept that that was not the case and let that go, which was a, a painful experience for her, and I had to sort of let her let let her have that and under and, and see what that was for her, and then once we were able to see each other and, and how how our experiences sort of um, played in and played off of each other, we were able to sort of release a lot of the, the pain that we caused each other and then kind of move towards, towards healing because we have a, a very solid relationship now. Hmm. What a, an amazing journey uh, that you've gone through. Uh, so thank you very much for sharing that today. Uh, uh, just a few minutes left with our guest today, actor Brian Michael Smith is currently starring in the Portland Center Stage production of Tiny Be- Beautiful Things. Um, so... With the time that we have left, I wanted to ask you this piece by Cheryl Strait is it's all based on advice and not just an advice column like you said, and like as people think of Dear Abby and et cetera, but really uh, Dear Sugar really reaches for the humanity of sharing her own humanity as well as trying to reach the humanity of the folks who are uh, reaching out to her. And I wanted to ask you, what is the best advice that you have ever gotten and what's the best advice that you've ever given? Mm. The best advice that I've ever gotten. Sorry to put you on the spot there. I know, man, because <laughs> I've, I've been blessed. I've encountered a lot of people, you know, in my journey. I had, you know, some good mentors in my life. You know, uh, when I was on the track team, I had a, a track coach named Brian Westfield, and he was just all about, you know, like discipline even if you don't want to do it you know talent is only going to take you so far but it's the discipline that's going to set you apart and help you reach those goals and you know, kind of drilling that in for a while and I feel like a lot of the things I've been able to achieve are kind of from that and like running into that as an adult because you know when you're a kid like man whatever I can do it I'm, 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 I'm fast I'm, I'm strong I can, I'm, I'm going to do it and then you, you start to get into a field where everybody is fast and strong and it really is the discipline that sets apart the, the champions and the people who, you know, can can reach their goals. So that that's something that just kind of came up right now. And I think the best advice I've ever given has been don't let people tell you what you can and cannot do. You you know, you got to listen to yourself and decide for yourself what you're going to do. But people are going to, for whatever reason, are going to try to talk you out of things. Yeah. But you just kind of have to tune that out. And, and listen to what your heart is telling you, and that is never going to steer you wrong. You know, I lied. I, got, I actually do have one last question for you. Um, mm-hmm. y- you've been acting for quite a while, um, but again, as I said, you just came out uh, as transgender in 2017, just a few years ago. Has it been easier for you to um, find roles now uh, after your transition as opposed to before or harder? Well, I transitioned a long time ago, so before I even tried to have a, a professional career, so I had uh, different experience than some of my my trans and gender nonconforming peers uh, today. Where you know I have a 
have the privilege of a choice on whether or not I disclose when it comes to work. Mm. So I, I have the ability to play both uh, cisgendered roles and, and transgender roles. And the challenge I was having early on was that when I felt like I had uh, developed enough as an actor to really be vulnerable enough to play the roles of, you know, especially trans roles and, and the stories, you know, that would require some some heft, I felt like, okay, I'm ready. But there wasn't that many uh, roles available, especially for black trans men, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I was looking, but I, I wasn't really seeing anything that I felt like really was authentic and truthful and could help people have a better understanding of what, you know, trans masculine experience is like. And so I wouldn't necessarily like things got have been easier or, or harder, per se, but I've just been able to connect more with material because there are more transgender people working behind the camera and because representation in front of the camera has gotten better, especially with the work that GLAD has been doing. Right. And uh, they like you know what, what good writing uh, teams will do is they'll reach out to Glad when they uh, decide that hey we want to we want to explore a transgender character here so they'll reach out to Glad and they'll talk to Nick Adams there who's the the media spe- uh, like specialist and he'll sort of help people you know sort of know like all right this is this is something we want to explore we don't need to talk about you know this you want to make sure that you're not falling into this trap and help sort of advise on how they develop those characters so that's why you I've been able to see better transgender characters on TV and film and uh, you know and then also transgender actors and and uh, producers and and filmmakers are like creating their own content and because you know we have access to digital media now those authentic representations can come out and it raises the bar and you'll get things like my character on uh on Queen Sugar right. which I think is a very you know very well written representation of, of of at least a black trans masculine point of view and then you have Pose which is written by you know Oh right, a queer a queer man, and they have on the writing team. There's there's LGBT people from across the spectrum on the writing team. There's particularly trans people like Janet Mock, who's a trans woman, directed an episode, and you can just see the difference and the nuance and the authenticity and the realness when when we're involved. So and I would say things have gotten better. And you're so real in the role of letter writer number three, and I want to thank you for joining us today on the show and and sharing your story and for your performance in Tiny Beautiful Things. It's running. Wow, thank you through. March 31st at Portland Center Stage. Uh, Brian Michael Smith, thank you so much for joining us today. Nah, thanks, Dave. Thank you. And I guess that's going to wrap up the show. Uh, we want to thank you for listening. And we want to let you know that you're listening to X-Ray FM at KXRY Portland and KQAC HD3 Portland at 107.1 and 91.1 FM. Streaming online everywhere at xray.fm.